All right, this is the XYZ series. It's about uniting all generations and working together, particularly to fuel the younger generations. And so we have some traditionalists on the stage, 75 plus. I won't mention their ages, but, but they're 75 plus. And uh, let's welcome them uh, to Rancho. <laughs> Just trying to be respectful, you know. Yeah. <laughs> plus, plus. <laughs> Well, it is so good to have you here. We have Alan Carroll Roth, we have Marin and, and Gary Berry, and uh, they are great friends of Rancho, and um, we're privileged to have you here and, uh, and, and to have you represent your generation. Now, your generation is called the traditionalist generation because there's a set of values that have underpinned that generation for, for 75 plus years. So, Carol, tell us about what those values are. Well, our generation had a, has had and has still a great many values. Uh, we were raised with values of uh, compassion, commitment, uh, giving, uh, respect, and hard work. It was a time of war. And we were all united, everybody, whether uh, whatever you did, whatever your talent, whatever your job was, you were working for a common cause to help everybody, to uh, win the war and, and gain peace and freedom again uh, in this wonderful country that we had been given. So values were very high priorities and we worked hard. We all were willing uh, to stand up to those values. They meant a great deal to us. So hopefully we pass those on uh, as we pass. Yeah. So now when we think about the traditionalist generation, we think about God and country and family and, and a sort of a nostalgic thought, but you live that out, right? Yes, we yeah. certainly did. That's uh, exciting. Yes, it was simple and it was fresh and uh, it was understandable and it was easy to, uh, we obeyed. There was a lot of obedience in that yeah. generation too. Yeah, that's true. Especially in the giving Except of Except for this cells. one, this one was a mess. So, uh, <laughs> he saw the look on my face. <laughs> I did, Marianne, tell us about the, uh, uh, the values of the traditionalist generation. I think the things that I remember the most is um, how, um, well, first of all, I'll tell you, my dad was in the Navy between the two wards and they wouldn't let him join again. So we left Southern California because there was a possibility of being shot at, whatever, torpedoed, whatever. And uh, so we took off and went to Arkansas. And people back there, too, just worked together. My dad worked hard on a farm. I milked cows. I knew how to do all that kind of, kind of stuff, ride horses. And um, my, I remember my dad especially uh, cutting lumber and cutting down trees and taking lumber down to his sisters in, that was in the middle of Arkansas. And just working together. And also, what I mentioned, forgot to mention before, is that I even remember one of our, our neighbor guys going into the Army and being gone uh, all that time and writing letters. We were good at writing letters, even though we were young kids. We could write young letters to to these guys that were overseas. So um, just, yeah, there was just a lot of it, like Carol says, and she did a good, such a good job. I don't need to tell you anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you both have mentioned the spirit of unity, right? Everybody was on the same page, unity. Yes, right? yeah. And, and you experienced that in your upbringing and in your community around you. Yes, but not as nice a family as she was in, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, we're all different. <laughs> my dad was a tough old sailor. <laughs> <laughs> And now, my mother was wonderful, but I was not raised in a Christian home. I accepted Christ when I lived back there, when we lived back there. And I was in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. 
And, but yeah, we, we did, people work together. They yeah. really did work together, yeah. so. Now, Al, uh, we have the privilege of having you here as part of our church family. You actually uh, fought in World War II, so we want to thank you and, and the people you served with. Well, I was born in uh, 1926 uh, during the Depression, and uh, the good Lord has blessed me in so many ways. Uh, I always like to say I'm getting very close to being older than dirt. <laughs> but when we, when we, uh, the war was on, World War II, we fought not only for ourselves, but for all generations to come. Yeah. We had to win that war. And God was on our side, and we did. So... Well, thank uh, you for that sacrifice. Yeah. Well, I was very privileged... I was very privileged to go back to Washington, D.C. very uh, a little bit ago and uh, got to see all the memorials with changing of the guard at Arlington and everything. I have been blessed, and I think the values that we passed on was uh, love of country. Uh, and also, I think that uh, after the war, the uh, United States had to be rebuilt, and we gave... Uh, the opportunity to the other generation to do that. Well, you did that. And uh, you mentioned you went to Washington, D.C., but that was actually on an honor flight that uh, celebrates and honors uh, veterans uh, and really gifts them with this incredible experience. And so that had to be a lot of fun. It was wonderful. Yep. It was really wonderful. Now, Gary, you were also on an honor flight uh, not too long ago as well. You served in the uh, Korean War, so we yes, thank you I for your service I was in as well. the Korean War. And I, uh, I served one year in Korea, 1953, and the armistice was signed that year, and they heard I was there, so they just quit, you know. <laughs> uh, no, and I was at a forward base in Korea. We were the most forward uh, Air Force base uh, in Korea, just below, the, just, above, just below the 38th parallel. But anyway, I want to go back to the great generation that during World War II, what really emphasizes to me is how the country came together. The younger generation, the younger men, uh, 19 to 23, went in the military. I had two brothers go in the military in, in, in 1943, and we didn't see one of them until after the war was over, so he was gone two and a half years overseas. But what emphasizes to me how this country mechanized, pulled together, and got behind this war effort because they knew that this was hindering our freedom. And they went from commercializing to uh, the military portion, the airplanes, the, the munitions, the, uh, the Navy, and the, uh, the ships. It was all brought together during this great generation by the great generation. Yeah. And when the war was over, it reversed. It went from military back to the commercial stuff. And the buildings started back up and the construction started back up. My family was heavily involved in construction. And we could see the buildings coming up and uh, the, new the new manufacturing plants. My dad was a, 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 a construction worker and he worked on many, many projects. Uh, but he also, during World War II, he worked at the shipyard down in Wilmington, and he was gone 
24-7 he was on call. That was his job. And we didn't see him very much during the war because he was in and out of the house. But it was, it was great to see how it was uh, brought together for the war, but also after the war, how it, uh, how it, was, uh, how it all blossomed. And I remember emphasizing this, uh, a great Navy uh, admiral from, from the Japanese, Yamamoto. After Pearl Harbor, his one statement was, we have awakened a sleeping giant. And it proved it. That's right. The giant was awake, and the giant defeated uh, the 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 war, won the war. But then it also went back to the peacefighting activities too. Well, and you were part of rebuilding America and making it into the great economic uh, superpower that it is is today. You spent 50 oh, years yeah. in construction, literally yep. building this country, and building the buildings that we get to enjoy, and building the economy that we get to enjoy. And also an economy that is the engine of, of raising up billions of people from poverty uh, because of the engine of the American economy. And your generation did that. And, you know, Gary, you were retired. You were here at Rancho, and you heard that we were building this, this campus from scratch. And that's a big project. And uh, you stepped up and said, hey, I, if you need a project manager, which we did, uh, we'll step up. And you helped build, well, you were the project manager for this building, phase one, phase two, and recently phase three next door. So thank you for your service in that. We appreciate that. And we know it was a team effort because you both worked at and sacrificed and spent some time apart, you know, in these years of your life. And, but something in particular, you got a lot of pressure at the time, 20 years ago, from sort of the older generation here at Rancho that says, we want to make sure this campus is built for the older folks, and you wouldn't have anything to do with that, so. Well, I heard that from, uh, we started this project in, two th in 2000, and uh, I was in my late 60s by then, and so when we started the project, everybody kept saying of, of our generation, yeah, we're going to get a new facility. I says, yeah, we're going to get a new facility, and we're going to be able to use it, but the future of this facility is really going to be for the ones that are coming up and that are going to follow us. That's what we're building this facility for. The high school, the middle school, we're yep. building that for them. Yep. We're going to enjoy it for, the, for the, the length of time that we're here, but it's going to be here long after we're gone to further the gospel for these younger people. Yep. And you did a great job, by the way. Thank you very much. Now, uh, Carol, um, a couple of months ago, uh, we shared on video this story of yours that you guys found yourselves in our Spanish-speaking service and helping out young people, helping them go to camp. Uh, why would a, a 75 and older, I won't give the number, decide <laughs> well, to go that. into a, a church community where you didn't speak the language and help support the young people in that church? What's, what drove that? Well, I think it comes out of thankfulness for what we had in our generation and what we were given, and to keep that and to not share that and move forward with uh, others that uh, maybe uh, you haven't uh, totally uh, comfortable with, to reach out, to take action, to go into the youth. The youth, uh, you all are the next coming up when we all have left. And uh, it's such a thrill to uh, be involved with youth when you're this old. That <laughs> makes you feel real good. So uh, I think it's out of thankfulness for the blessings the Lord has shown us in this generation to give them back. 
Well, it means so much. And one more round of applause to you and, and your generation uh, for doing so much. And thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Al. All right. Well, it is a great pleasure to get to know these folks as friends. And one of the things I love most about Rancho is that we are absolutely multi-generational. If you look at our database, it's almost perfectly distributed from every generation. And that takes a lot of effort, a lot of intentional effort to celebrate each other and to say, yes, we're going to take care of each other when we get more elderly, but we're never going to lose sight of the next generation that is, is coming up. Um, there are a lot of challenges, however, to um, having a multi-generational church, particularly challenges in connecting the generations. And, uh, and, and I want to focus on that. The next generations coming up are vastly different than the current generation. But we've got to have this biblical sense of unity among the generations. Psalm 78.4 says this, we will tell the next generation about the glorious work of God, about his power and his mighty wonder. This whole concept that the older generation is passing on to the younger. That's why I love the, the Berries and the Roths, because even in their older age, they're dedicated to leaving something to the younger, to build a campus focused on younger people, to be able to put time and energy and resources to help the younger people thrive through camps and their walk with God. That's the biblical vision of unity. Um, and that's the point of the series, how three generations are changing the world for the better and how every generation can help but there are profound challenges to uniting the generations. First of all, the generational gaps are widening. This is a real phenomenon. The generational gaps are widening. I wanna show you a, a chart. This is a chart that kind of details the, the rate of increase in knowledge. Uh, up until 1900, the rate of increase in knowledge was very, very, um, was very light. Uh, it, it was very, very flat. If you were a farmer before 1900, you likely raise children that are gonna be farmers, and they are gonna raise children that are gonna be farmers. And so the rate of new knowledge was very small. Around 1900, new knowledge was being acquired every 100 years, doubled every 100 years. By 1950, new knowledge was being acquired doubling every 50 years. By the year 2000, new knowledge was doubling every year. Now it is nearly impossible to quantify the rate of new knowledge. In fact, this is an old metric. It's not even tracked anymore because it's impossible to keep track of the rate of new knowledge. Here's the way it's happening now. There are, are data farms that are uh, absorbing data from all over the world, every corner of the planet, in the cosmos. These data farms are absorbing data at a rate that the collection of all human brains on earth cannot possibly compute and cannot possibly process. And so these computers are becoming essentially planets of information, and here we are, small creatures that having to mine the data. That's why it's called data mining. There's far too much for us to process. It used to be, even not too long ago, just a few decades ago, you'd have a project, you'd have a problem to solve, you would ask people to gather data, they would spend days, weeks, months, years gathering data, and then you could process it. Right now, the data is pretty much all there. You just have to go find it in all these data farms and use it for, uh, for your project. It's entirely different right now. It is estimated that the, the amount of data being stored is doubling every 12 hours. That's incredible. We just have to go find it to use it. With a rapid change in knowledge comes a rapid change of culture. So finding cultural commonalities for generational connections are increasingly difficult. With all this new knowledge, 
It creates, it creates new activities. It creates new industries. It creates new technologies, which creates a change in culture. And so right now, the difference between one generation and the next is so profound that it's hard to find connections. This cartoon pretty well says it all. <laughs> between the generations, what is there to naturally connect over? We each have two eyes, two ears, and a nose, but other than that, we just think differently. We operate differently. It's a a different pace. So how can we connect the generations toward biblical unity when there's not much there to naturally connect us? The second problem is that the tone is sharpening against one another. As generational changes increase, we start to kind of bite back and forth. We judge one another, and the tone is getting harsher. Uh, Very often, as you're talking with older people, you can't get through a five-minute conversation without having the older people making fun of millennials. Now, millennials are getting back through this okay boomer thing, and it's going back and forth, and it's pretty harsh. And, And that harshness of tone is going to continue to separate the generations. We're not going to work together. We're going to miss out on the wisdom and the traditions of the older generation, and we're going to miss out on the vibrancy and the life that's in the younger generation. In Leviticus 19.32, there's this biblical vision of respect, toning down the sharpness and respecting one another. Stand up in the presence of the elderly. Show respect for the aged. And this respect is to be back and forth, back and forth, Carol mentioned that the traditions uh, generation had a culture of respect. It was kind of built in. I think she even said, we obeyed. Um, well, the younger generation is, is not so wired for rote obedience. There's a different kind of value that's emerging. Still respectful, but not based on rote obedience. Based more on relationship. Based more on serving one another. Based more on collaboration. And so how do we connect generations in a respectful way when the, the, the way of living life is so different. The generation gap is widening, the tone is sharpening. The other reality is that the practice of faith has completely changed. This is pretty well a done deal. The practice of faith has completely changed. I wanna show you a, pre, a Pew Research chart on faith. When it comes to faith in America, the traditionalist generation claims to be Christian, 84% of them, 84% claim to be Christian. And when they claim to be Christian, they're typically going to practice that faith in a traditional way. They're going to go to church on a regular basis. They're they're going to serve. They're going to give. They are Christians. They identify as Christians. And they obey kind of dutifully the Christian way. You get to younger generations now. Let's go down to the millennials. Only 49% of Christian millennials claim to be Christians. And their practice of faith is totally different. They're not going to church typically every single week. They might go occasionally. They might not go at all. Their faith practice is real. Their faith is alive and well. It just doesn't look like the traditionalists. There is now research coming in on the Y generation, the youngest generation who's under 24. Far fewer of them are claiming to be Christians. It's looking like about 30 to 32% of the Y generation claims to be Christian. And so the the claim of Christianity is, is decreasing. The practice of Christianity is becoming totally different. Here's just what's happened in the last 10 years, just 10 years. In terms of religious history, 10 years is a blink of an eye. Here's what's happened in America the last 10 years. The percentage of identified Christians has fallen 12%. Percentage of nuns, people who don't have any religious affiliation, rose 10%. The percentage attending church regularly dropped 10%. The percentage of atheists or agnostics has just risen 1%. So what does that mean? People still believe in God. Young and old, they still believe in God at almost roughly the same rates. 
Young and old respect Jesus. You talk about Jesus to any age group, and there's a great deal of respect about Jesus. The difference is the traditional generation is obeying sort of the historical tenets of the religion. The younger generation is not interested in simply obeying the tenets of a religion. They want to experience their religion in their heart and in community with one another, sort of without the institution. And, and so we can judge that if we'd like. We can have a problem with that if we'd like. But the reality is that's just the way it is. And how do we, how do we connect the generations when there's such a difference? Now, it was considered that, well, you know, as, as people get older, they become independent thinkers, they leave high school, they leave the home, they'll leave the organized religion for a while, but then they'll come back. That certainly happened with the traditionalists. As the tra traditionalists started rebelling against their parents and listening to that Elvis nonsense and wearing their rebellious jeans, right, they separated from their religion, but they all came back. When they got married and had kids, they came back. The younger generations that are leaving the religion are not coming back. A couple of months ago, an article came out based on a study. It says this, for a long time, it wasn't clear whether the youthful de uh, defection from religion would be temporary or permanent. It seemed possible that as millennials grew older, at least some would return to a more traditional religious life. But there's many evidence that today's younger generations may be leaving religion for good. The millennials who left the Christian faith are not coming back. They still have a faith. They still believe in God. They still respect Jesus. They still agree entirely with the cause of Christ. They're just not coming back to institutionalized religion. Now, Rancho is fiercely engaged in this discussion. We are all over this discussion. How do we, you know, create intergenerational, religious, spiritual, Christian community in a way that's authentic and not institutional? How, as Justin said earlier, do we hand the keys off to the next generation so they can rise, raise up some new kind of Christianity that's just as aligned with the cause of Christ, but it just might look different? Now, for the older generations that might not like this kind of change, we have four options. We can complain. We can grieve because there's a sadness that the generations after us are not taking on our religious traditions. We can judge, and that's always a ton of fun to judge because it means that we think we're superior. Or we can connect with the younger generations, learn from each other, and partner together. Where do you think this series is going to go? Just take a guess, right? <laughs> you probably figured it out. Let's, tr let's find a way to build relationships intergenerationally. Let's learn from each other. Let's respect each other, and let's partner together. And as we'll see when this series goes through January and February, as we'll see, the younger generation has such an alive uh, a set of ethics that the older generation can agree with. If we can sort of wade through the mire of our cultural disconnects and our judgment and our anger towards one another, we will find those commonalities, even in the most sensitive, even political areas, and we'll be able to partner together in amazing ways. So, so here's... Here's, here's the vision. If you're in the younger generation, we'll just say the younger generations are the XYZ generations, right? You are culturally distinct and maybe distinct in values from the older boomers and traditionalists. So if you are, are an XYZ generation, the Bible has something to say to you. Now get this. Deuteronomy 32.7. Remember the days of long ago. Don't forget these stories. Don't forget the sacrifice of the generation that bought our freedom and built our country. Don't forget that. Don't forget their values. Don't forget the days long ago. Think about the generation of the past. Then ask your father. 
He will inform you. Inquire of your elders. These are your grandparents and, and older. They will tell you. So the younger generation, what's the encouragement here? Ask, learn. Whenever you're together with family, don't just be busy with your own thing. Stop and talk to your parents. Talk to your grandparents. If you're lucky enough to have great grandparents, talk to them. Listen to their stories. I remember when my uh, grandfather, who fought in World War II, he fought on the European front. He was a uh, Battle of the Bulge, and he would never want to talk about the war, right? Um, people who see combat rarely want to talk about it. It's just the most horrific, fearful things, and, and they'd rather keep it to themselves. So they carry these things for the rest of their lives. Uh, when my grandfather was diagnosed with brain cancer, uh, we urged him to tell his story. And we got out the, the camera, you know, those big VHS cameras. You don't even know what VHS is. We set up the camera and we asked him questions. And for the first time that I could remember, he told some stories without having to stop because he was so full of tears. And he told the stories. And he told the stories. And, and to have that is a great treasure. This is asking the generation, tell your stories. Let us know what you went through. Let us know the wisdom that you've gained. Because these older generations have a lot of stories of success. They have a lot of stories of failure. And we can learn from their failures as, as much as we can learn from their successes. Tell us about the values. Tell us about the strength of your generation. Tell us about the weakness of your generation. Tell us, tell us. If you're dealing with a life situation, whether it's personal, family, business, whatever, I guarantee people who are older than you know a lot more than you in terms of the wisdom of making decisions, the wisdom of navigating complex situations. Ask the older generations. Now, how about for those of you who are old? In this service, there's not a lot of people who are 75 uh, plus. I'm looking around. I don't think there's anybody in this service that's over, over 75. The, the earlier services, yes, and this one, not, not quite so much. But if you are approaching 75, and which of us isn't, technically, um, if you're getting older, let me encourage you on a couple of things. Don't pack it up. Don't distance yourself from what's happening in the younger generations. As you get older, the tendency is going to be to think that the younger generations are passing us by. I don't understand the culture. I don't understand the music. I don't understand the technology. Uh, I don't understand what they talk about, why they talk about it. So we might feel as though there's a separation. And so what we, are, what we tend to do is when we feel that kind of disconnect, we cluster around our own. We cluster around our own age. We cluster around our own ethnicity. That's where we feel safe, and that's where we understand each other. Don't do that. Resist that temptation. And the Bible asks us to resist that temptation. Psalm 92, 13. Even in old age, flourish. This is a command. If you're old, flourish. Don't pack it in, right? Don't distance yourself. Don't give up. Flourish in the courts of God. Still produce. When people are old, they tend to think, well, you know, there might not be anything I have to give the younger generation. No, still produce fruit. Remain vital. Remain green. And because we have this wonderfully, almost perfectly generationally diverse church, we have the privilege of having all kinds of friends, young and old. And there is a tendency among the older folks to, to, to think, I'm not real relevant. Maybe I'm not wanted in the young generations or the young conversations. And so we cluster into smaller groups of sameness. That's not flourishing. That's just kind of holding on. Flourish and still produce fruit. That means still invest in the younger generations. So what can the older generations do Two things very specifically as we wrap up here. One is don't judge. And this is true of older generations and younger generations. Don't judge. It's so easy to judge. It's so fun to judge, especially when there's such a disconnect of cultures between the generations. Man, there's a lot of content to judge, right? Don't judge. 
Jesus makes it very clear. I love it when he's super clear and uses short words. Do not judge others. <laughs> it's really simple. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. That's what's happening right now because in the older generations, uh, you know, they have taken such pleasure in harassing the millennials. I mean, t I'm telling you, older generations, it's sport for them to harass millennials. Well, now it's payback time and millennials are saying, okay, boomer, and going hard after the older generation. Don't judge lest you be judged. Judgment begets judgment. So let's back off the judgment. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. And some of these might be kind of difficult and we'll get even more difficult as we go. <laughs> uh, technology. Don't judge the technology of the younger generations. And I hear from older generations a lot, oh, they can't stay off their device for you know, five minutes and we're just you know, judging them for technology. Listen, it is a new day. The union of man and machine is here. It's not going to change. Now, yes, can the younger generations take five minutes to look somebody in the eye? It's possible, theoretically. I'm not sure it's po possible practically. It's possible, theoretically. See what I did? I just made a snarky comment about people and their technology. <laughs> but but it's, just, it's the way it is. It's not going to change. So why, why judge it? Judging people's technology is only going to create further separation. There's no need to. Technology connects the world like never before. And we can say you're losing the human connection, but it's connecting the world like never before. And studies are saying it's real human connection just through technology. Stop judging it. There's no reason. How about the environment? This is a doozy. The environment's a big deal right now. Older generations tend to be more conservative and traditional. That's why they're called the traditionalists, right? That generation, so let's just say older boomers and traditionalists were raised in a world where thermonuclear war was not only a possibility, but could very well be a reality. I, I grew up at the very, very tail end of the Cold War. So I understand the fear of what it means to have a superpower across the pond pointing 8,000 nuclear warheads at your forehead. That's, you know, the, the last part of, of the Gen X um, uh, high school years, right? And, and you live with that. It, there could be a nuclear war at any given moment. And so the older generations lived in that fear. So they did not have a vision of, of what uh, this world or planet's gonna be like in 500 years. They were just trying to live the rest of their days without a nuclear bomb falling on uh, their foot, right? So um, the whole mentality was different. The older generations thought that there could be total destruction of the planet in their lifetime. Not only that, there was a new theology that was emerging right alongside of the world, war, uh, the world wars that basically taught that we are going to get out of here on a rapture, with a rapture and God will wipe out everything else. So there was no vision of life on earth 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now. Well, thankfully, the young generation is not living with that same fear. There are still threats globally, but they're not living with the daily fear of nuclear holocaust. And the theology of a rapture and God blowing everything up afterwards is no longer popular. Um, and so they don't have this threat of extinction right in front of their face. And so they have a vision of what the planet's going to be like 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now. And so this environmentalism has risen. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks as we highlight the younger generations. So here we have the older generations that had no vision of life on the planet uh, beyond their generation. Of course, they're not going to be environmentalists. They're trying to survive this, this, this cold war. And so what ends up happening is the older generations start judging the younger, younger, and you've heard the term, you know, tree hugger, and there's all kinds of other stuff in there. We're harassing and judging the younger generations for trying to save the planet. Let's not get in their way. Now, 
perhaps the older generation could celebrate the environmentalism of the younger generation and then offer wisdom and guidance and coaching because there is wisdom in the older generations on how to do it in a way that is smart, how to do it in a way that's not traumatic. Let's work together. We don't need to judge each other. How about politics? We don't need to judge each other's politics either. Older generations tend to be traditionalist, conservative, lean Republican. Younger generations, even younger Christian generations, tend to be more liberal, lean Democrat. And there is fodder for judgment like you wouldn't believe. We'll get more into this uh, in later weeks because I am 100% out of time. Here's what I want to close with. Jesus made this point very clearly. He said this when talking about children. Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Did you get that? Jesus says, whoever welcomes any one of these little children welcomes me. Now, what if Jesus said to you, I'm coming to your house on Wednesday night. He's hanging in the lobby. He's at the table. He's working at the table. It's class on Wednesday. He says to you, I am coming to your house on Wednesday night. This is Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, coming to your house Wednesday night. How are you mobilizing your house on Wednesday? How's your house going to look? What are you going to cook for dinner? How are you going to treat him when he knocks on your door, right? You Ubered over. How, how are you going to treat Jesus at your door? How are you going to welcome him? Jesus says, as you welcome me, that's how you welcome kids. Do you know why right now the kids have the entire West Building? <laughs> They're the treasures. Could we even say that they're the greatest generation? Jesus says, you welcome kids like you welcome me. So I close with this. What if the greatest generation made a decision to treat the youngest generation as the greatest generation? How powerful would that be? We're pouring into our kids. That's what we do. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the traditionalist generation, just the stories of great sacrifice and unity around a common set of values, God, country, family, how they selflessly rallied together to, to, to save the world, to defeat evil, and to bring freedom and prosperity, not just to the United States, but, but through the engine of the United States that they built to bring prosperity to the world. It's remarkable. So we celebrate that generation. We also thank you that so many of them are pouring into the next generation giving wisdom and coaching and mentoring, giving generously and sacrificially to make sure the younger generations have what they need and to make sure the younger generations understand what it means to place our, our life foundation in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I pray that as we go through this series, you would unite the generations in powerful ways, that we, we would unite around the cause of Christ, even through our cultural differences and religious differences, unite around the, common, uh, the, the cause of Jesus Christ uh, to make this world a be better place, to see to it that the poor are taken care of, that the marginalized are, are loved, that the lonely are befriended. God, to look at the cause of Christ and say, we can do that together. In his name we pray, amen.